What do you love to do? Can you remember the last time you had a hobby that didn't involve an ulterior motive? That didn't involve money or hustle culture and that made you feel maybe a little bit vulnerable and afraid to be judged? I want to hear about that story. We all have something that gives us passion and it's my goal to re-inspire you to find the joy in your life by talking with other people about the things that make them happiest. I'm Megan Bream. This is Anything But Beige. Let's go. Hey guys, Megan here. Welcome to Anything But Beige. I am super glad you are here. This episode, I am going to talk to one of the most inspirational, fascinating people that I have ever encountered. His name is Maxwell Ivy, and he's known as the blind blogger. Uh, The passion that he has for overcoming his blindness and utilizing it as a benefit is just fantastic. It, It was such a good interview. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you just talk to somebody and you are just, it's a good day. And that's how that day with Uh, that day that I was interviewing him went. Now, um, I want to give you a caveat that we were having a lot of internet connectivity issues. Uh, I'm not sure, honestly, if it was mine or his. So a couple of the, the sound quality is not the best, but we've tried to edit it for you to make it as palatable, I guess, I don't know, as possible. But uh, just as a heads up, there's a couple of things that get lost in the mix and just internet issues. The joy of everybody being on the internet at the same time. But I'm going to get out of here and give you my interview with Maxwell Ivy, theblindblogger.net. Hello, I am the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivy, and my passion is helping other creative entrepreneurs grow their passions by connecting them with podcasts and radio interviews. What I wanted to hear your, about your story is, I mean, you have a full-fledged, colorful life of circus performer, uh, you know, podcaster, brand marketer. I mean, so just where do you want to start with this? I don't even know where to start. You tell me. You know, I'm really, I'm, I've gotten this, I'm getting this a lot lately. Podcast hosts start talking to me as if they're flustered and they're talking to some rock star or something. And I'm like, hey, I'm just Max Eichner. I'm the guy here. <laughs> Uh, but I, I will correct you on one thing. I was never a service performer. My family operated, operated carnivals, although there was that one winter where we traveled with a one-ring circus in South Texas. But, uh, yeah, I've gone from uh, from setting up and taking down carnival rides and operating kids' games and doing event bookings to selling people's uh, used rides to blogging, podcasting, writing books, traveling around the country by myself, um, and helping other people get exposure. Done a lot of the podcasts because I find it's a, an easy way to connect with people. Even before Corona, I like to tell people that us blind people, we were doing social distancing before it was a thing, you know. So, uh, <laughs> but the point is, is I basically just do the next thing in front of me. When the carnival was great, I did the carnival. When it wasn't great, I sold rides. When that when that wasn't great, and other people told me that I had more inside me than. Uh, then brokering equipment, that's when I started the writing and the blogging and stuff. And every so often, somebody will go, Max, have you thought about trying this? And I'll go, no, I haven't. Let's see what that, what that looks like. Or, no, I haven't. I have no intention to. <laughs> like when people ask me about skydiving and whitewater rafting and swimming with sharks and 
you know, hang gliding and roller coasters, stuff like that. I go, yeah, well, we can do that, but we made it gone. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could do. I'm, I'm interested in skydiving, but I don't know that I could do swimming with sharks. I think that that's that's probably cutting it a little too real for me. I guess. Yeah, yeah. So now that I've totally derailed your podcast questions plan, what would you like to know next? I, you have not derailed me whatsoever. This is really just free form and talking about your story. Like what I consider this podcast to be is more of just a, so just to give you an idea of how this got started. Um, I really love marketing. It's one of those things that I just can't stop talking about and it can get probably annoying to other people, but <laughs> it's what I love. And I had uh, a meeting, I had my physical checkup with my doctor and I noticed he was wearing cowboy boots and I asked him, I was like, what are those are cool. And he, he kind of blushed. And then he started talking about his love of square dancing and there's this whole community behind it. And there's, you know, square dancing politics and there's, and there's it just made me really dancing. think about there's even square dancing calling school. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, there's just, there's just this whole world of things that I had never known about square dancing and I, his passion behind it is what I loved the most. And so that's what, um, this podcast is about is just talking about those kind of stories. And, you know, um, I noticed through a lot of, I went on your website and through your questionnaire, you know, what I noticed a lot about, your background is that you see uh, I'm, I'm trying to say like you have found ways to overcome a disability and make it into a a feature in a way and, yeah, and is it, do you think that that would be accurate yeah i think that would be accurate but um i didn't actually have that idea or do it on purpose it was not intentional and for you being having a marketing background, you'll appreciate this. I was working online to promote my first website, the Midway Marketplace, and the equipment that people had for sale. So I was doing the social media thing, and while on social media, people, you know, they like to have a shorthand for you. So I was the only blogger who was also the only blind person in any of the communities that I was a member of. So people started calling me the blind blogger just as a way to, you know, for shorthand. And then when I finally decided that I was going to accept the possibility that I could inspire others by sharing my experiences, I was like, well, what do I call myself? And they're like, we've been calling you the blind blogger for two years now, so you need to see if that's available. And uh, the dot-com wasn't, but they made the case that it was such a good name and it was really part of who I was that uh, I should go ahead and go with the dot-net and try to be the blind blogger wherever online real estate would allow me to do that. And I accepted it and I ran with it. I you know, did a lot of podcast interviews, a lot of blog commenting. And six years later, if you Google blind blogger, you're probably going to find me, although there's a few more of us now than there was then. Uh, and it's funny how I've actually become an influencer and people are reaching out to me online, wanting me to review their products from the point of view of accessibility and wanting me to introduce them to the visually impaired community. And I'm like, it was just a cool name that people called me because they wanted something, you know. I'm just, it's, so it's just it's way stuff like that happens. I did not pick the brand name, but it's become a great brand, 
and it really does uh, take advantage of the fact that my blindness, I don't use it as a as an excuse or a hindrance, but it's just part of who I am, and it just makes everything else I'm doing seem all that much more impressive. And, I mean, it's alliteration. Who doesn't love alliteration? You know, I never even thought about that before. Oh, I'm going to have oh, to really? answer that. <laughs> no, nobody's ever pointed out the alliteration. Thank you. Yes. So you started as um, doing the the Midwest sales. And when did you make the, I guess, the um, conscious decision to pivot into the blind blogger? I know you said you had people that were just sort of coaxing you into it, but what was the catalyst that made you decide, you know what, to shut these people up, I'm going to do it. And, <laughs> and this is how, and this is how. Uh, right. Well, there were two things that happened. One, I have a really good friend named Adrian Smith, who used to be known as the blog commenting superstar before she changed her, her business model as she got older. Uh, I refer to her as my blogging mama. She talked everything I know about relationship building and relationship marketing online. And she was, and she would say, Max, um, the reason people find your story compelling is that so many people have nothing between keep from after their goals. They but they sleepwalk through their days and they're satisfied with their current life, or they're afraid to to rock the boat, as the old expression goes, to see if there might be something better for them. She said, whereas you have this built-in excuse that if you decided you wanted to sit on your couch and listen to TV and eat junk food, nobody would say a thing about it. So the fact that you have an excuse but don't use it is what makes you compelling. But the final thing that pushed me over the edge was I won a guest post on a site called AHA Now, which is aha-now.com that's owned by um, Arlena Singh and I I won this guest post and I sent it in what I thought was a nice uh, good post about Max. She wasn't having it. She wanted me to talk all about the challenges of being a blogger who's blind and how I overcome them and all. And the post was finally written and released. It got something like 120 something comments on her website and I after a week of reading all these things people were saying about me and the article I'd written, I was like, okay, all these people can't be wrong. Or at least I don't think all of these people could be wrong. So I'm <laughs> gonna go ahead I'm gonna go ahead and do it. And my first post as the blind blogger was a post titled, I think I'm ready to be an inspiration. That's fantastic. That's a great title. Yeah. And what was what's really cool about it is it's one of those posts that I did that was a that had a mistake in it, but the mistake turned out to be better than what my, I originally intended for the post. Um, at the same time I was working on that blog post, I was also working on a listing for a new, or it was a used park train for the, mid, for the Midway Marketplace. And somehow I got the photos mixed up. So I have this picture of this gorgeous amusement park train engine instead of the picture of this handsome blogger. So um, after the people saw that post, yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Half the people who saw that post are thinking, Max, uh, do you realize you probably, used the, you probably used the wrong photo here? But the other half were like, uh, Max, what a great uh, metaphor. A lot of us remember the little engine that could when we were kids reading that book. You know, <laughs> we have five. So what a great, you know, homage to the whole thing. And I'm like, no, that wasn't what I intended. 
because honesty and authenticity are real, are real big parts of my brand. And I was like, no, that wasn't what I intended, but I'll take it. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. When, yeah. When your audience, when your audience sees things in your work that you didn't see there, don't argue with them. Just, just say thank you and go on to the next thing. Yeah. Just pretend it was intentional the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So what, one of the things that um, I know you wanted to talk about was um, practice finding the positive and also the importance of asking for help. And I think especially in, you know, the climate right now, the political climate or whatever you want to call it, those things are so important. And particularly finding positive in such a tumultuous time. So just in your experience and you know, what advice you have for people that are navigating a, a time of influx and how do you find the positive and how do you ask for help in places like this? Okay. The, I'm going to talk to the positive first because I think from your question, it's probably the more important okay. right now. Um, and the thing about being positive is most people don't realize that to be positive on a regular basis takes hard work. It takes practice. You have mm. to decide when you get up in the morning, you have to decide that something positive is going to happen. You have to know that there's going to be a person, an experience, an event at some point or more than one point during your day. And then you have to be constantly looking for those positive things in your day. And then when you find them, you have to celebrate them and go, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Uh, I had a great conversation. I, I got an email or a postcard or somebody dropped a note in my mailbox, whatever it is, they're out there, but you have to decide they are there or that they are going to, to come in some form or fashion. And then you have to really honestly look for them. I like to say, it's just like finding anything else. If you lose your keys, your smartphone or your TV remote, the first thing you do is you know, it's there somewhere. The second thing is you just keep looking until you find it. And the third thing is if you can't find it on your own, then you, the family in from the other rooms and have them help you find it but that's the thing about finding and staying positive is it takes practice it takes determination and anybody can do it but very few people will so that is my that is my approach to uh the finding the positive and staying positive you, it's like a lot of other things you have to make a decision and then you have to act on the decision and work at it and it will be really, really hard the first time you do it. It will get easier the more you do it. I like to say part of the reason why I'm so good at it is because I've spent a lot of time on my back in my life looking up at the sky or looking up in the direction where the sky <laughs> should be. You know, I've made a lot of mistakes, had a lot of failures. I've fell down a lot. So I've, got, I've had a lot of practice, and that's the thing. You have to practice it. You have to decide. And then as far as uh, asking for help and accepting help when offered, which actually uh, accepting help that you don't think you've asked for is much harder than asking, but even asking is difficult. So what I like to do is, is get people to take the focus off of themselves. Uh, stop worrying about mm. how you are going to look when you have to ask for help or uh, even how you're going to look when you ask for opportunities, because some people feel like they will come off as egotistical or proud if they ask for opportunities. So you have to take the focus off of yourself. You have to think about the other person. And this is an expression I used. It makes it very clear to people. And I, I find this is this provides an aha moment for a lot of people when they're asking for help. When you refuse to ask, 
robbed another person of the joy they wouldn't have gotten by helping you. And so what you have to remember is there are people That's out That's beautiful. There and, oh, yeah. Yeah. And how many, how many times have I, let's, let me ask, let me ask the question instead. How good does it make you feel when you get the opportunity to do even the smallest thing for somebody who can really do nothing but say thank you? It's, so, yeah, it, it's more than fulfilling. Yeah. So you take a person that spent years in a position at a company or running their own business that has these, this information, knowledge, experience, and many of the, many of their days, they're thinking, I have all of this to give, but nobody is interested in what I have to offer. So just imagine how that person is going to feel if somebody comes along and sincerely says, hey, I'm struggling. I need help. I know that you are the expert in this area. Would you please help me? And most of the time they will say yes. And then it's just a matter of following up. It's a matter of sending emails, making phone calls, and then showing proper gratitude by following the advice that, or the suggestions that you get from this wise person that you've reached out to. Uh, and so and I'll even take it one step farther. You're actually making their day worse by not asking them because of the emotional mm. relief that they would get from first being asked and then second, doing something nice for somebody else. So think about it that way. You're actually hurting the other person by not asking them as long as you're going to ask sincerely and you're going to take advantage of what they have to offer. Otherwise, you're just being a needy, selfish person. Now, the second step to this, which is much harder because it's, it's difficult for people to ask for help. It's much harder when somebody comes along and offers you help that you didn't ask for because then it's like, who the heck do they think they are? Why do they think I need their help <laughs> at this particular time? I mean, so that one's even harder. And what I like to remind people is you, you did ask. You just didn't ask out loud. You meditated on it. You prayed about it. You stewed over it. You thought about it. You maybe left some comments on social media where you hinted at it. Um, people around you that are sensitive to you, that are friends or uh, part of your community that uh, that appreciate you from far, they will notice when you are struggling and try to figure out why it is that you're struggling, and then maybe something they or one of, or somebody they know can help you with your struggles. We ask lots of ways that, are, that have nothing to do with making a phone call or sending an email or a text message. We just don't realize it. We've kind of lost touch with the whole idea of asking without using our, our verbal or written voice. But you did ask. You've let it be known that, uh, that you need this help or that you would appreciate this help. And somebody came along and said, I can help them, and they are struggling, so why not offer my information or my services? And so that's, but that's still, it's still harder than asking because there's just a lot more ego tied up in it. And so that's the bottom line is you have to remember to put the other person first, think about it from their point of view, not your point of view. And then remember, which do you want to do more? Do you want to accomplish your goal and maybe, maybe look a little silly doing it? Or do you want to stay where you are? I like to tell people. Life I love that. And I love, you know, you good. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that I like to tell I, people. I was just life. saying that I, I know you had mentioned. <laughs> you go. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is one of the downsides of having a bit, having a conversation over the Internet with a blind guy. I do bad enough with this in person. So 
I was just going to say, I, I like to tell people life ain't the Olympics. They're not going to give you style points, so stop trying to win them. <laughs> what I was, that's beautiful, beautifully put. What I was going to say is that um, you had mentioned that the asking for help is, if you can't do it, it's sort of an ego thing. And what I was thinking is, what I seem to notice is that a lot of people have a fear of being vulnerable, right? And how the the help is stigmatized as weakness when it should just, it's the complete opposite of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's one of the places where my vision loss has actually helped me because while everybody else that has perfect sight was being raised either directly or by implication to think you're supposed to be able to do all this on your own, that if you need help, there's something wrong with you. Well, well, that was the lesson everybody else was getting. The lesson I was getting was never be afraid to ask for help because people will want to help you. You will need their help. And if you don't ask for their help, you're just going to make things harder on yourself. And if you just started off by saying, okay, can you please uh, do X, Y, or Z so I can do I can accomplish what I want to today. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good segue into um, asking about your book and the leading you out of darkness into the light. Uh, I had just written my own first book. So tell me about your process behind that. Like how had, what came to fruition? What was it like for you to write, to write a book? Right. Okay. I'm going to start off by saying my process is probably not anybody else's process, but, um, what happened was I was online promoting my, uh, my website, the Midway Marketplace, and I replied to a blog post about creating products that you could sell or offer as inducements to people to sign up to your email list. And I, I, I basically asked the author, I said, well, that's a great post, but it would be better if you had some specific examples or some actual resources. She wrote me back and sent me a resource on writing my first book, but she also invited me to be part of an online summit. She then explained that to be part of the summit, I had to have a book or some other product that I could give away or that I could offer at a discount to people that attended the summit. And she suggested that I write a book, and I told her she was crazy. And she said she had no doubt I could write a book because of <laughs> blog posts I had written. And she said, by the way, I think you can do it in 60 days. And I said, okay, you just went from crazy to insane. And she said, wow. I'm going to share my, yeah, she said, I'm going to share my favorite quote from Richard Branson with you, which is, promise to deliver, and then figure out how. And I said, well, that's great, but if we get to the point where there is no there is no book, I'm going to put this all on you. It's going to all be your fault. And she said, fine. So I, <laughs> so I started writing the book, and a few weeks later, she calls me up, and she says, Max, there's four other women in this online summit, and they've decided it would be better for marketing if it was an all-women event, so you're out. And I said, okay. I grew up in the carnival. I've been a promoter most of my life. I know what it means to want to put more butts on the ground, uh, faces behind the screen, etc. So, But I had, had fallen back in love with the writing. So I said, I'm going to finish the book. And I wrote on it for another couple of months. And then eventually I started sharing it with friends who I was concerned the book wasn't long enough or important enough or didn't have enough stories in it. And everybody said, no, Max, the book is great. You need to just get off get over yourself and publish it. So I reached out to my my editor now, Lorraine Reguli from wordingwell.com, who had helped solve some problems on my blog, uh, mainly one with uh, photos not loading properly and obscuring my text. 
And so she helped me get the book mm. from the manuscript to being published on Amazon. It was released in uh, January 2014. And it's my transition from carnival owner to equipment broker and uh, a little bit of being a blogger. And it also has exercises in it people can work through to go towards accomplishing their own goals. And it has my email address in there so they can report on their progress as they work through the exercises. Because I know that when people start to take on a big goal or they start to make changes in themselves, a lot of times they get pushback from their friends and family and even online community. So I wanted them to have at least one person they could share what they were doing with who wouldn't criticize and who would encourage them on their journey. And it's, 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 it was a fun experience. I'm really proud of having written and published the book. Uh, even more so than the number of people who have bought it, read it, and worked it. And then from then, one of the dangers of writing a book, is, especially nonfiction, is then you start to see ideas for other books. So since then, I've written It's Not the Cookie, It's the Bag. <laughs> About my uh, my transition, my health, you know, go, uh, getting getting healthy, having, uh, having, uh, having gastric surgery, changing my lifestyle, incorporating meditation affirmations and some other things to you know to lose over 300 pounds and get healthy uh, my last book was the bloggers of new york city adventures how to make your dreams come true which is about my competing for and winning one of the prestigious abstract writers and residents and using my prize to take a solo crazy trip to new york city during the christmas and new year's holidays of 2016 2017 and my next book will be about my first experiences traveling around the country to promote my work as an author by doing books and public speaking, and it's going to be out sometime in July. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. My process, as far as the writing part of it goes, it's funny you had mentioned. I just write it all down. Good. Create, I just write it all down, and then I send it off to the editor to let her straighten it out. <laughs> hey, that's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Yes, they are. Now, what has been, you what has are been your experience? Full-time. In, my, so mine was not 60 days, unfortunately. Uh, mine, mine took a year for me to get through. And the reason, uh, mostly, well, there's many reasons, but when you were saying, you know, you felt like yours wasn't long enough or didn't have enough stories, I, I that's what I was going through, too. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a textbook. It was just... It was just, and I had to really spend a lot of time getting past that and being being okay with just. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Being, being okay with good enough and not striving for perfection because perfection never comes. And the one thing I tell other right. authors is, and I had actually, the one thing I, our, our internet is crap. I'm sorry. The one thing I tell other authors is, is no matter how many times you're published, you're still going to have that, that problem where you have to get over, is it good enough so that you can press that button and upload the book. Exactly. I had, um, one thing that actually broke me through that is I was listening to this podcast about just one of the true crime podcasts around, and they were interviewing this author who was really prolific. I think he'd written maybe 10 to 15 books and he was there promoting his newest book which was 70 pages it was just 70 pages and that just blew my mind yeah it blew my mind that this prolific author who has been you know new york times bestseller and all these things and his new book 
was only 70 pages. And he was fine with that because that's all it needed to be. It he didn't have to make it longer to fill some sort of, um, you know, feelings of whatever of what it should be. Like it, it got the story done in 70 pages and that was all it needed to be. And so for me, that was just like, that blew my mind. And I was like, okay, that's what I have to reframe my thinking about is not, it's not what it should be. It's what it is to tell the right story. Exactly. And that's the advice I got from my great, great friend, Ryan Vidal a few years ago, before I went to New York, I asked him about that book in particular. And he said, he said, Max, don't try to give a name to a story. Don't try to decide how long the story is going to be. Just tell the story. And when you're through telling the story, however many pages it is, it's done. And later on, I finally had to learn to apply that same lesson to my book speaking, which is if they and I've, I've told my stories and I've made my points and taught my lessons and I've got 12 minutes left, so be it. I'm going to finish and say that's what I got. Mm-hmm. And I think especially in those, you know, brevity is we live in such a world that we don't have time for all of the fluff and things, you know, we have, everybody has attention deficit disorder. And so just making things what they need to be to get the message across is all that we should really think about and not the, Oh, it needs to be the next American great novel or, Oh, it needs to be the, the blog post that changes minds. And it, it just, it needs to be what it is. Yes, and the other thing about that phrase, blog post that changes minds, half the time the post that we write that we thought was amazing gets has has no response to it. And the posts we wrote that we were just mildly ex- happy or, or content with ends up making a, uh, a big statement or ends up resonating with people all over the world. It's, <laughs> it's so crazy how that works. It's never, it's never the one you think that's going to take off. Nope. So... Moving, I wanted to talk about your transition of moving from physical product space or live events, live in-person events, you know, carnival, to transitioning to majority full-time or totally full-time in, in the digital space and what that's been like for you and where you see that going for you and also for digital marketing. Well, I think I've pretty much been in digital marketing at some level full-time since 2007 when I started my first website because I pretty much was home working from the laptop, uh, blogging, posting equipment listings, sending out emails, making phone calls, and then later as the blind blogger, writing the blog posts about my experiences and what people can learn from them, publishing books, appearing on podcasts, helping other people get booked on podcasts so they can share their stories. And every, pretty much everything is uh, is digital. The only thing I guess is really digital is I am slowly growing some What's Your Excuse merchandise, which, uh, you know, generally comes with an encouraging message. But since I don't obviously don't do my own graphic design work, it's going slower than I want it to. But that's probably the only thing anymore that's physical. Right right now, the carnival industry is really in a mess because of COVID and corona and people being stuck wherever their last event was in March or April. So that's uh, you know kind of on the fritz right now as far as helping people sell equipment. So I'd say I'm pretty much all in on digital. 
I think the fact that as a blind person living in the suburb of a city with no real good transportation options, that I was far ahead of the curve as far as using online media to promote myself, doing webinars, virtual summits, uh, guest posts, magazine contributions, all these things that are all digital. And, you know, plus I've, I've been doing podcast interviews since 2013, so I have probably 200, 250 interviews, which means I probably have 100 or 150 podcast hosts that I have connections with that uh, we still stay in contact, and occasionally we help each other on projects. So those sorts of things are, are cumulative and that kind of ahead of things when it comes to the virtual space. Recording my podcast, I've been doing that for four years, and I've done that from my house. I've also done it from other people's houses. So really, as long as the Internet works, you can, I can pretty much wherever I am at. Uh, so I would say that I'm definitely all in digital. I think it's going to continue because I don't believe that we're going to return to normal. I think there's going to be a certain percentage of the economy that will have to return to normal, such as uh, the food supply chain, certain manufacturing chains. But I think a lot of people are going to continue to work offline. And what I'm really hopeful of is that a lot of people who have been given the freedom to start podcasts and blogs and work on their art or film projects or whatever their project may be because they're not having to go to work now, I'm hoping that a lot of these people are going to choose to not go back to work. They're going to decide that they can make a living, uh, maybe not as good a living as before, maybe not as reliable, but they can make a living doing what they really love doing. And a lot of that is going to be online, podcasting, uh, YouTube videos. A lot of your newer film projects are being released to uh, to YouTube, to Facebook Live, to uh, Netflix, Amazon, Roku, etc. instead of the theaters. So I think we're really at a beginning of a, of a new economy where we're going to see even more dependent on digital and I think mm-hmm. while a lot of people are feeling stressed, a lot of people are feeling stressed right now because they have to be at home. But I think once it gets to the point where they can choose whether to be at home and work on something they love or go back to work, back to a regular routine and work at a job they don't really care for, I think a lot of people are going to choose to continue to be online. And I'm hopefully going to be one of the people that helps them because a lot of people are great at creating, but they're not so great at promoting. And, you know, the thing that I enjoy doing the most is helping these creative entrepreneurs realize the power of their story, help them tell their stories more effectively, help connect them with the opportunities to tell their stories. So all they have to do is show up and write an article or show up and have a great conversation and let the world find out about them by seeing them, hearing them. So I definitely am looking forward to it. The, this whole Corona thing hasn't really affected me. I said earlier as, as a joke that, the blind people were doing social distancing before the rest of the world was. But if you live in two-thirds of the United States, the transportation barrier to meeting people face-to-face is so high that you generally, will, if you can find a way to do it remotely, virtually, you're going to. So we've had this incentive, this built into our lives for a long time as visually impaired people, and we've got a lot of practice at it, which kind of puts us ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, working online and developing a brand, a product, or a service online. So when do you – trying to think of a way to say you well, you work with creative entrepreneurs. 
Uh, oh, God. Uh-oh. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say something. Uh, what I was saying you just is... Said, you, just said, oh, God. you just said, oh, God, like there was something going on in your house. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> How... You say you work with creative entrepreneurs and that is, you know, that's your, your people. How do you recommend someone starts, like say they're in this corporate world and it's not as reliable as it used to be for them. And I mean, it really never was reliable, but now that safety net is going away and we're starting this creative entrepreneurship. How do you suggest they get started and when do they come to you for help? Well, I suggest they get started if at all possible by incorporating their creative projects into their work life as much as possible, if that's possible. It won't be possible for everybody. But if it is, then you can uh, use it in your current uh, position, possibly, uh, add it to your skills to where maybe if you want to stay in, in the regular working world, you can longer. But also, by using it in your current job, you can build up the experience of doing it without the pressure of having to support yourself doing it. And you, you may be able mm -hmm. to get uh, testimonials or reviews from the people that you work with that will help you a lot when you do decide to go all in and decide to try to make a living as a creative entrepreneur solely on the back of, 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 your, of your work, whether that be art, film, music, uh, podcasting. I've recently talked to a guy who's a comedian that's trying to grow trying to uh, adjust to being a virtual comedian, which he says is very hard because it's hard to be a great comedian without laughter. So, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. So I, that's where I would say they should start. After that, um, start in, uh, in small projects for yourself, friends, or family while you're still employed. Again, you want to build up experience, a resume, testimonials, you want to get your work out onto social media where people can see it, but doing this at a time where maybe you still have some income, whether that's um, the unemployment income, uh, other state or federal money that you've gotten because you're displaced, or from you know the last few weeks or months at whatever job you're working at. And then as far as when they should come to me, they should come to me before they finish the book, before they finish the film, before they finish the album, because storytelling and using it to grow your platform is a cumulative thing. It really takes a while to build up and to create this audience that will be there for you when you need them to buy your products and services. So whether you hire me or not, you need to be telling your story even before you have something to sell based on your story. And that will help you create a platform and audience it will also help you practice telling your story, uh, get familiar with the questions people are most likely going to ask you, have experience answering those questions over and over again, adjusting the answers as you grow personally or as you uh, get more experience in being interviewed or having conversations like this. So start before you have something to sell. Tell your story because the world needs to hear it whether you have something to sell or not. Some, some people won't want their creative projects to support them. They will be happy with that being a major passion project that gives them joy outside of their work that allows them to keep those jobs and pay the bills regular. So whatever your case may be, the world needs you to tell your stories. 
your stories will grow your audience. The audience will buy your products or possibly contribute in the form of donations, uh, crowdfunding. And the most important thing, by, by starting to tell your story now, you start to accumulate friends, fans, people online who will send, occasionally say, Max, you're doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. We love your podcast. You know, um, we we love the we, we love the podcast. We love the videos you've shared because, especially in the early days, or on those days where things didn't go the way you thought they were going to, it is so much more valuable to have people to encourage you than it is to get a check in those moments. Mm-hmm. So, lastly, oh. Let's talk about your website and how people can find you and where they can find your podcast. Right. My website is theblindblogger.net, theblindblogger.net. They can also email me at justask at theblindblogger.net. And uh, my social media stuff is on the website. As far as the podcast, I I post the episodes to the website. But people can also say, Alexa, play What's Your Excuse?, or they can say Google ask for what's your excuse, or they can find the podcast. They can find the video part of the podcast on Roku at Knob TV, which is K N O B dash TV. But again, all of that stuff is on the website at theblindblogger.net. Fantastic! Thank you so much, Max. This was so interesting. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. It's been it's been weird with the fact that sometimes the internet is resulted in us talking over each other, but we've still had a great a great conversation. I think we've said some things that are going to encourage and, and motivate and even challenge some of your listeners, and I look forward to hearing from some of them. I would love to have some conversations and see if I can't help some people with, uh, with getting clear on their story, if nothing else, because the world needs their stories. And I highly advise people, uh, don't ever wait until you think your story is good enough to start sharing with the world. Hey guys, Megan here. Before you go, I would love to ask a favor of you. It is so helpful to have reviews on new podcasts as it really helps iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all of those guys find out that you're really enjoying it and that they should show it to new people. So if you wouldn't mind just leaving a quick review about what you think about the podcast, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much again. I'll talk to you next week. On the next episode... I was very skeptical about the process of manifestation. And the reason I was skeptical is because I I didn't like the idea of giving up power to something. 